Uh, I just want to preface this episode by saying Lauren and I are appreciators of Jane Austen's work. We are not Janeites. We are not going to get things wrong. We are going to say things that are stupid. We're going to call people by the wrong names. Please don't add us. Um, we know that you probably know more than us. We know that you're the expert. So when we fuck up this episode, pat yourself on the back, know that you're smarter than me and Lauren, and enjoy this episode of Required Readcast. I wanted to begin this by uh, by quoting. I was trying to like be Britishy and be like, "It is a truth universally acknowledged that every podcast must do a Jane Austen." But then I was like, "Podcast, pod, podcast, podcast, podcast." Like I don't think who said. Have you heard anybody with a British accent? Podcast. 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 Uh, well, hey, this is a podcast. Welcome to Required Readcast. I'm Jessica Austin. And I'm Lauren Baldwin. And now I can't stop. We've been immersing ourselves in, in all things British. <laughs> because this week we're tackling just a book I was required to read and read it and loved it ever since. This is Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. And Persuasion. And Persuasion. <laughs> That extra, that extra Austin book, that one just sort of tagged on at the end. You know, if we're going to start off season three with Jane Austen, then we got to just, you kind of have to do most of it. I mean, she wrote so few books. Right? Well, I've listened slash read to five of them this summer. I'm right through Sense, and then I'm coming back around, and next I'll do Emma, so I can, like, have read all her major works. And that's a lot. I've still never read Emma, actually. Emma's really good. And you just pointed out to me that I have a piece of Emma swag that I forgot about. I think I never read it because I just, I watched Clueless and loved Clueless. So why, what was the need? I'm not sure there is an Emma adaptation that is better than Clueless. The new one is good. The guy who plays Mr. Knightley in the new one is fucking Cosette's awful dad from the Les Mis miniseries. Oh, no. Johnny Flynn. So I actually stumbled on Pride and Prejudice. I didn't have to read it in high school um, in any of the classes I was in. But you know how I always complained that I was um, like in normal people reading and didn't do like AP or advanced like you did? Well, my senior year, my mom discovered that I could take classes for free at CU Boulder as a senior who lived in Boulder. So although I had been like not on the top of my English lit game through all of high school, I decided to take an intro to British Lit class at CU Boulder the spring semester of my senior year of high school. And this was on the reading list. And I was it was the Norton Critical Edition. And I absolutely read it before I was supposed to. It has so many footnotes. Look at that. Jessica just held up. She has still got that same copy. I love it. Mm -hmm. It's all dog-eared and sad and way bigger than it needs to be. But I was actually like assigned to read something else. I think it, oh, oh God, I want to say it was Dante, but that's actually, so why would I be reading Dante in British Lit? But I was supposed to be reading something else, maybe Henry IV Part One. I don't know. And I was bored with it. So I was like, what is this Pride and Prejudice book? And I think it was because I wasn't supposed to be reading it yet. That was later in the semester. Um, so I just ripped through it and didn't read the current assignment, but I loved it. I was like, what's going to happen next? Oh my God, she picked Mr. Darcy. And had you known anything really much about Jane Austen before that then? 
Mm -mm. My my first the first time I re remember the name Jane Austen like coming into my world was also in high school and like some dude bro that I was in class with shoves a book in my face <laughs> and he's like hey Austin I didn't know you wrote a book <laughs> oh no because it said J Austin and my last name is basically Austin but with a G jammed in there so it was just hilarious. well the resemblance is a little a little a very little too close and we did talk about this copy of persuasion I have has a silhouette that looks very much like Jess's profile it's a little eerie you might be a reincarnated version of Jane Austen we don't not. You're a modern day Jane. I like it. Hey, and you know what though? You have surpassed how long she lived in age. Well, almost. Sadly. She's she died at 41. <gasps> I'm 41 for one more day, Lauren. Oh right. Well, oh, please don't die. I'm gonna do my best before you gotta outlive Jane Austen. So yeah, how did these books come into your life? Um, I was required to read. If my memory is correct though, I think I was required to read Sense and Sensibility. I feel like I remember reading that. Um, maybe we got to choose. I can't remember exactly, but I was in AP English class in high school. Fancy. And and I remember my teacher did it. She did kind of like a, now we're going to just do a whole Jane Austen unit. And then that's why I also read Persuasion. I just chose to read it because... I thought it was interesting that it was her last book and that it was published after she died. And I just kind of felt like um, reading that one in comparison. And at the time, I remember I liked Persuasion better. I look back on that now and I'm not sure why. Maybe it was because I really liked Anne Elliot when I was in high school. Well, it could also be because Sense and Sensibility was her first published book. And like, I just gave that a reread or I'm in the middle of a reread and it's clunkier. Like the beginning of is like oh my god it's all about inheritance and entailment and we haven't met our main dashwoods yet ah yeah and i think there was something i i'm like maybe it was because as as an only child there was something about Anne's. i mean Anne has sisters but it's not the same relationship as like eleanor and marianne oh yeah her sisters are awful she's much more of a loner um kind of this independent person so I think maybe I was drawn to that. I'm not sure. But anyway, so yeah, that was my first exposure. And then I didn't read any more. <laughs> I just chose to not read any more of it. I think I eventually read Pride and Prejudice for the first time in college at some point, just because. Mm -hmm. um, and then didn't pick up any Jane Austen materials again until you and I started our improv group. <laughs> okay. So full disclosure, friends, uh, Lauren and I, we're once upon a time in a Jane Austen themed improv group called Jane's Addiction, Improvised Jane Austen. It was rad and we only had one time where people bought tickets to a show thinking it was for the band Jane's Addiction. <laughs> that turned out poorly, but don't worry about it. True story. True story. We had to refund a lot of tickets. Yes, but it was a very fun improv group. It was all ladies doing all the Janes. Um, hey, real quick, speaking of improv, I'll give a shout out to the fact that Jess and I are celebrating our 10-year our anniversary today. Cheers to us. Oh, 10 years ago today, Lauren came to improv practice for a new group, <laughs> not knowing that her Mr. Darcy friend was across the room Aww. staring at her haughtily. <laughs> She was in the corner with her arms crossed. Like, who is this new girl and why is she here to do improv? And I, am I taller than you? 
A little bit, yeah. Okay, good. Then I feel like I was towering and imposing with a profile <laughs> and a shitty gaze. Um. But instead of being scared, I also started playing a dude in the scene. And that's how our relationship began. And instead of being prejudiced against my pride, we just played. Oh, oh way to bring it back around. Playamo. Well, um, so. and speaking of back around, I, I had never read Persuasion. I knew it was your favorite. The whole time we did Jane Austen improv, I had not been familiar with Persuasion. And so this summer when I was sad, I was and unable to finish a fucking book. Ugh, I was like, I'm going to pick up. It, it, the brain's the brain is gone. The brain. I know. I was. We. I know. We normally talk about other things we're reading. I. I'm immensely proud of myself for actually finishing a book I read. Um, but it was. <laughs> it was a biography. But I read a uh, Cameron Esposito, the stand-up, the comedian. I read her book Save Yourself, and I was like, Wow! I read the whole thing. Good because for yeah, you. something about quarantine times has made my brain turn to mush. Well, good for you. You've read you you even made it through Northanger Abbey. <laughs> oh, that one has some issues. To be super fair, it was a combo of uh, audio recordings from LibriVox, which are free for public domain books. So y'all should check out LibriVox if you need some words in your head. And so a combo of audiobook and reading got me through those. But I have read I have not finished anything but Jane Austen this whole quarantine because I'm just retreating into myself. I know my bet my um, bedside stack keeps getting larger because I keep buying more books and not reading them. Oh yeah, it's my- going to be a tower that will fall on me as I sleep someday. I will, I will be crushed by my own books. What a as, way to go! As far as ways to go in 2020, that's probably in the top five, like best ones. You know. I would consider it a gift. <laughs> but let's not devolve into the state of the world. No, not yet. Let's, let's instead, let's talk about our friend Jane Austen. Um, yes. Um, she was born, she was born Jane Austen, no middle name apparently, in Steventon, Hampshire, uh, England, on the 16th of December, 1775. And she was a month late coming into the world. Right. Her dad wrote a letter and he was like, uh, Mama Austen was supposed to go to bed a month ago and this baby's staying put. And there were a lot of kiddos before her. Um, she had one, two, three, four, five, six siblings before Jane was born. And um, apparently her mother worked a system where they would, she would have the baby and then send it away for, for some time to be taken care of. And then the baby would return after a couple of years. Yeah. So like send away an infant, come back a toddler. Yeah. Interesting how that works. I'm paraphrasing something that her father said, but it was along the lines of, we send them off as vegetables and wait until they're animals and then they come back. Oh my goodness. <laughs> And I was like, you sent away a little potato baby. And then it comes back and it's a puppy. Um, and I did read about how she had an older brother who was sent out to be fostered because he was disabled. And yeah, and it took him a while to figure out he was disabled. All of her family had fascinating paths. She had a brother in the Navy. Cassandra had a disappointing engagement that essentially like destroyed her for life. She was like, well... My fiance died. Guess I'll be a widow. Or it was interesting to read that kind of stuff about her family because you do see how sibling relationships and parent relationships are a huge part of all of her books. Yeah, they were a family that like got that played together, 
And it, you got the feeling that this family, they were kind of a big raucous sort of group. They would get together and read Jane's books out loud while she was writing them. Um, Pride and Prejudice was a family favorite. In her youth, she wrote plays for her family to perform. Like they used to go out to their barn and just do some plays. They did The Rivals by Sheridan, all these plays that like you and I studied in, in theater school. I'm like, oh, Jane Austen was mucking about in her barn with her friends doing that. And I found this quote about her that I really loved because she never ended up marrying. She didn't have any children. Um, and the critic Richard Blythe said about her literature, not the literary life was always her intention. I thought that was really interesting. Um, and yeah, and despite all of that, and despite what a large part of her life writing was, she still was publishing anonymously. Because she was a lady. She was a lady. Her father sent away her first manuscript of Pride and Prejudice, which was called uh, First Impressions, to a publisher friend, and it was returned essentially unopened. And it's not, nobody knows if he actually told Jane that he tried to get her published, but like dad totally had her back for that first book. And that's really lovely. What do you think happened? Because there's a lot of talk of how much uh, correspondence between her and her sister mm -hmm. had been burned. Like I read one thing that said that it was estimated she wrote about 3000 letters and only a hundred to 200 of those have survived. What do you think might've been going on in those later years of her life? Do you think they were trying to cover up her illness or? Well, uh, from what I read, her older sister burned a lot just because she did, uh, but she, also, liked to and, and she just, it was cold. Mainly they had a heat shortage in their home. No, um, but Cassandra, <laughs> the one she didn't burn for ostensibly for her sister's privacy, she also edited, like cut things out and removed parts. Mm -hmm. um, she claimed it was to kind of keep Jane's somewhat acid observations about neighbors and family members out of the family kind of circle. Mm -hmm. So they didn't, I think Cassandra kind of thought they don't need to know how witty and shitty Jane was to them. <laughs> witty and shitty. I love that. That could be a good hashtag. That could be a good hashtag or a next, maybe she was writing that follow-up novel and we didn't, Fair. we never got to see it. Yes, because unfortunately she did die at the age of 41. Um, so, it was my age. Yeah. It was due to Addison's disease, but now they say maybe it wasn't Addison's disease and some people suspect it was tuberculosis. Oh, poor Jane. Either way, it's a kind of a tragic end to a short, short life. But she left behind a stack of really talked about books. Yeah, and Sense and Sensibility was published uh, under, was published as the author of By a Lady. Sense and Sensibility, By a Lady. <laughs> and it, after that, all of her books that were published, um, Pride and Prejudice, etc., were billed as by the author of Sense and Sensibility. So I love that at first she was just by a lady and then by the author of Sense and Sensibility. But it is cool that she didn't have to adopt a male pen name, that she was like, I am a woman writing this. You just don't know That's which true. woman. Even if it was anonymous, at least it wasn't, you know, John Arshton. That's my last name. Oh, my God. Sir John Arshton. She just goes with a little finger mustache. My name is Sir John Arshton. I am here to publish another book. Well, 
Lauren and I are not historians, so we're going to get right to the meat of the book of Pride and Prejudice, or by the meat, I do mean the summary. Our friends at Britannica summarize it as, Pride and Prejudice follows the turbulent relationship between Elizabeth Bennet, the daughter of a country gentlewoman, nope, gentleman, asterisk that because I've got a comment, and Fitzwilliam Darcy, a rich aristocratic landover. They must overcome the titular sins of pride and prejudice, that's the name of the book, in order to fall in love and marry. And the reason I put a little quick asterisk in there is because the Netflix uh, the Netflix summary want to kind of pop up the blithe in, so they're like, Mrs. Bennett tries to marry off her daughters. It's so interesting, like, where the focus goes as you're summarizing. So what would your tweet, like, summary for Pride and Prejudice be? I would say, boy meets girl, boy's an asshole, girl forgives him eventually. The end. <laughs> Mine, I think I maybe stole somewhere. But I heard it. I think I heard it once, but I'm stealing it anyway. Steal it. I like it. Come for the prize. Stay for the prejudice. <laughs> I think. I think that used to be Who one said of said that we did for the Jane Austen shows. <laughs> that was our. That was one of our ta advertising taglines. We're amazing oh my god 2020 has destroyed my brain i just stole from myself <laughs> just... and didn't remember who said this those smart were, thing those were oh wow Ugh. sorry past jess and lauren we're didn't just mean to rip off our own material <laughs> these dumb future versions of you two are fucking everything up oh wow Oy. anyway well you know what it's still good so I'm, we're using it again <laughs> and and pride and prejudice starts with it is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a great fortune must be in want of a wife. Let's face facts. One of the top opening lines in literature. Yeah, and I'm embarrassed that I probably just paraphrased a few of those little bits, but you know what? No, I think you got it right. Did I nail it? Um, uh, I should have been reading along. Um, but yeah, I think it is, yeah, I think you nailed it. It is the truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. Oh, yep. I yeah, think you I got it. I think I said great fortune. That was embarrassing. Oh my god, you're fired. So we get to the central conceit of the book that when a dude has money, he must be looking for somebody to marry. And when Mrs. Bennett finds out that Netherfield Park has been let at last, she loses her shit, and so do her way too many daughters. Five daughters. And no son. That's always a problem in a J.A. book. Mm-hmm. And none of the daughters have been married off yet, even the old ones who are in, like, their mid-20s. Jane, she's ancient. <laughs> she's ancient, but the prettiest. Yes. We always knew her beauty would be good for something. Um, <laughs> yes, so the Bennets are in a high state of excitement and really want to meet Mr. Bingley who's coming to town. Oh, they're all excited about Mr. Bingley because he's wealthy and that's all. They, they decide that before they've even met him or seen him, just on general word. He's amiable and wealthy, so he's got to be good for one of them. Look, he's wealthy and single. What more do you need to know? <laughs> um, and among the rest of the daughters, we have our girl Jane, who's the eldest and the prettiest. And then the second daughter, Lizzie, who, you know, she's considered the a local beauty. One. The famous Lizzie Bennett. Everyone loves her the most. Um, pair of fine eyes, but not as pretty as Jane. And then we have Mary, who 
is bookish and loves her pianoforte. And that is about it. And then we have Kitty, who is the second to last daughter. Finally, there's Lydia, the final daughter, who is just a mega dipshit. She's the the worst worst. of the worst. Yeah. Well, they they get progressively worse. Yeah. I mean, just wait till later when we get to the sucks here Asmar Award, because I think we already know (laughs) who it's going to. Let's face that. Oh, we got, girlfriend, we got contenders for that one, because this book is full of a bunch of Asmars. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) So there's silly Bennett's and not so silly Bennett's. Um, and they're all going to go to a ball and try to get themselves men's. Like you do. And when they arrive at the ball is not only the amiable Charles Bingley, who's immediately smitten with Jane, but his bitch sister, Caroline. Uh, there are others, another sister, Mrs. Hurst, who's also a bitch. Awesome. And then his friend, Mr. Darcy, who it might not be a bitch, but he's acting like a bitch. Oh, he's being a dick right from the start. But it's kind of hot to Lizzie. <laughs> yeah, Lizzie's like, you're so rude. Why Why? Are, why is my netherfield tingling? What is going on? <laughs> I can't believe you're so rude and I want more of it. So, uh, yeah, they, they, go to the, they go to the party and Darcy's a dick. He says, like, she's, she's p- f- pretty enough but not fine enough, to te- not handsome enough to tempt me. And that is a little hurtful. And Lizzie's like, all right, then I don't need to dance with you, jerk. But what that next, what that does accomplish, however, that party, that ball, if you will, is that Jane and Bingley have hit it off swimmingly. And Jane receives an, Jane receives an invitation to go visit Netherfield Park uh, very soon to go visit the sisters. If we haven't learned it by this point, Mrs. Bennett is really good at getting in her daughter's way. Who like loses her shit and it has this whole plan about how to get Jane an invitation to stay the night. So she's like, no, you can, you can take a horse there. And um, maybe if it rains, then you're going to have to stay overnight. Oh, what a clever plan. And it works. Until it gets you sick. And then Jane gets sick. Um, frankly, I can't believe she didn't die. Like in this day and age, um, getting a mild dampening would probably get you dead. <laughs> they always have to flirt with death in Jane Austen novels. <laughs> just from off from we the weather. We to get one of our sisters like incredibly ill because she got too wet. So Lizzie the next day is like, well, I'm not going to let Jane just hang out with the Bingley and the Bingley bitches by herself. I got to go help her. So Lizzie walks out like two miles down to netherfield it's good for her health she likes to walk and she arrives there uh, only to discover mr darcy and um bingley's sisters being super judgmental about her hem which is six inch- inches dip- deep in mud her hair all blown around how dare she how dare she but poor jane is sick and darcy darcy's warmed up to her by this point yeah darcy darcy enjoys the older the elder bennett sisters um, he finds them charming and, uh, you know, intelligent. It's just that then when the other sisters and her, their mom enter the equation. Yep. Older half, younger it's half. too much to handle. Mm-hmm. Too much silly. Uh, so while there, Lizzie and Darcy have some good conversation. She realizes that she doesn't really need to impress him. And um, by doing that, she impresses the hell out of him. Uh, she's less vapid than Caroline Bingley. She just proves herself to be kind of a badass. And eventually Jane gets better and they go home. Yay. Only to encounter the arrival of 
their cousin who's there to, who will eventually inherit the the estate when Mr. Bennett dies. It's actually one of my favorite parts when we get to favorite parts, because he's just so ridiculous. Oh, Mr. Collins. He's written beautifully, like just so pompous and unctuous and subservient to Lady Catherine de Beau, his patroness. Yes. And just very like, I know what these Ben and girls mean to marry me. (laughs) He's like, he gets there. He's like, okay, (laughs) to be super fair to Mr. Collins, like, it's actually nice of him to go, hey, I'm taking your house. I might as well marry one of your daughters. So you're not all homeless. It's fair. Yeah. But the, 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 the going for the gold, going for Jane straight off, Mr. Collins, uh, that's a bad idea. He has a sight set on Jane. Mama Bennett is like, "Mm, she's engaged, almost. And and you're still our first cousin. You're still related to us very closely. And then he's like, oh, that's a good point. If I can't have Jane, at least the second one will do. Like, no paying attention to their personalities. Because, like, you know who would have made a really good wife to Mr. Collins from those Bennett girls? Mary, the dour one. Oh, right. Poor the- Mary. I always, you know what? I always forget about her. <laughs> Mary really is the Peggy of the Bennets, if we're talking about Peggy's. Yeah, yeah we're talking about Skylar's sister. She's the Aunt Peggy of the group. God, she's like the un- poor middle child. Poor Aunt Peggy. Poor, poor Mary Bennett. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Mr. Collins. forgotten Mary Bennett. <laughs> she has her own play now. Lauren Gunderson wrote her, like, Mary Bennett's Christmas at Pemberley or something. So she gets her own little... Oh, that is her. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Well, good good for you, Lauren Gunderson. Way to Give go. it all the, all the Bennett's their due. Poor, sad little Mary. Um, well, yeah, so Collins is like, yeah, I'm going to propose to Lizzie. That is a great idea. This is going to work out great. There's no way she's going to say no. And, of course, Lizzie... I'm Mr. Collins. Yeah. I'm awesome. Lady Catherine de Burr's got my back. How could Lizzie not like me? She does not like him. And yeah, and we find out later that Lady Catherine de Burr likes to think she runs this town. So, well, she certainly runs Mr. Collins. Yes. Um, so Collins no, proposes. Yeah, Lizzie's like, no, thank you. Goodbye. Uh, goodbye. And Mrs. Bennett freaks out um, and is like, I'll never see you again. And this is one of Mr. Bennett's amazing moments where he's like, Lizzie, you have a decision <laughs> to make. Like, you're going to be lost to one of your parents forever. Either you marry, you don't marry Mr. Collins and your mother will never see you again, or you do marry Mr. Collins and I'll never see you again. (laughs) I do think that the relationship between Mr. Bennett and Lizzie is a sweet one. Mm -hmm. And it does seem to have some echoes of maybe how Jane Austen felt about her own father. Yeah. Well, I think the Bennett girl's upbringing is not dissimilar to Jane Austen's upbringing. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, when Lizzie's talking a little later about the education of her sisters, like essentially they were allowed to do as they pleased. And if they wanted to learn, they could. They never got sent to school. They never had a governess. And that is similar. I mean, Jane went to school a little disastrously. Like, they ran a wild for a while. So Lizzie doesn't have to marry Mr. Collins. And it doesn't take long before Mr. Collins eventually just decides he's going to marry, you know, good old Charlotte Lucas. Charlotte Lucas is Lizzie's best friend and is regarded as plain. And like her family is, her dad's a sir, but everyone still kind of looks sideways at him like, oh, those Lucases. Oh, but anyway, I mean, you know, this isn't exactly going in order, but 
he does pretty pretty quickly shift gears. Yep. Well, and speaking of shifting gears, Lizzie shifts some gears because the regiments come to town and parading through town is Mr. George fucking Wickham. Oh, that regiment. Gotta love it. And apparently Lizzie does. She's all up in that uniform. Mm-hmm. Getting some W. Mr. Wickham. I gotta say, <laughs> as I was re-watching the movie today, anytime they would say, poor Wickham, I kept thinking of poor Wiggum from uh, <laughs> The Simpsons. Poor Wiggum. <laughs> um, but when we first meet Wickham, he seems like a fine match and a fine man. Mm-hmm. He's super hot. He's charming to Lizzie. Um, he's, he's not too smarmy. Like usually you can smell him a mile away in an Austin, but Wickham seems like a pretty good dude. Yeah. He seems legit. And he plays on Lizzie's sensibilities because he's like, oh yeah, you know, Mr. Darcy, Mr. Darcy done me wrong. And gives this whole sob story to Lizzie about how Mr. Darcy ruined his life and Lizzie eats it up. So that just makes her hate Darcy more. Oh yeah. She's like, oh, pass the fucking hot goss. Let's talk shit about that D bag. Yeah, I already wanted to talk trash about this guy, but thank you. You know what? I, I Real quick. Yeah. Are there any echoes for you of, to me, there are echoes of uh, Benedict and Beatrice in Much Ado About Nothing in the way that uh, Darcy and Lizzie Bennet kind of behave together. Yeah. It's kind of like a Shakespearean um, relationship to me a little bit. Well, I think you see, that's really smart because like the the equal matches in a Shakespeare play tend to spar and match wits. And I think the equal matches in an Austen novel spar and match wits. Like Lizzie and Darcy, um, Emma and Mr. Knightley. Like it's the people who take manners away and actually have a chance to speak frankly that end up working out well together. Definitely. So yeah, I totally see that. that. Yeah, and the beginning of the relationship is pure hatred mm-hmm. well yeah. uh, netherfield uh, has been promising a ball that netherfield is where bingley has let bingley the charmingly clueless ding dong who's in love with jane bennett god i love bingley oh bingley you you dumb dumb sweet man his name bingley so the netherfield's throwing a ball and all the bennett sisters are like all right we're going to the ball and lizzie's excited because she thinks wickham will be there here we go this is the ball number two but he's not there Oh, right. God damn it. Why do I keep forgetting? <laughs> you just really want Wickham to be at a ball. I wanted him to be there in his formal ball uniform. Yeah, but he couldn't ball. He wasn't balling. There was no balling <laughs> for George Wickham at that ball. He ran away like a scared little brat because he knows the story he fed Lizzie about Darcy is all bullshit. Yes. So he basically parties at Darcy's house and runs away and hides. Because mm-hmm. he is not what he first sees. We will get there. Mm-mm. No, I would say Lizzie's first impression was wrong. That's the title of the old version of the book. At that party, however, and this is where we got we got ourselves a little ahead of, sorry, with the Collins stuff. Um, this is pre-proposal and Collins is there being obnoxious. Um, and then Darcy absences made the heart grow fonder and he wants nothing more than to get a dance from Lizzie Bennet. And she's like, okay. Yeah, but I've just found out from the guy that I'm crushing on that you did some bad shit. So so she is just cranky and shitty to him. Um, they verbally spar on the dance floor. This is the hashtag witty and shitty. Hashtag witty and shitty. 
Like he's not making conversation. So she's like goading him into it. She's like, I just talked about this. Why don't you talk about that? I just asked about the weather. Now you tell me something about the people in this room <laughs> or whatever. It's all very, and the ball wraps up. A good time is had by all, except really Lizzie, who couldn't dance with the guy she wanted. She had danced with Collins and poor Darcy. Neither of which were wearing a uniform. No. So next comes the part that we got ahead of ourselves with the Collins proposal. Lizzie's like, ew, no, gross. Um, And now we have caught ourselves back up. Yes. Sadly, for the Bennett girls... Out of fucking nowhere, the Netherfield Park party, Bingley, his sisters, and Darcy, up and leave. Like, Jane was feeling like she was doing well with Bingley, and all of a sudden, poof, they're gone. Um, And Jane's like, okay, I guess they left. So she's all sad. Yeah, and Jane is a very soft-spoken, rather shy girl. Lizzie often says she really only, she doesn't even always reveal her true feelings to Lizzie, who's her best friend so so jane doesn't always um speak up for herself the way that lizzie does Mm -hmm. and that's going to be a problem for jane because it's sort of these hiding of feelings that has resulted in bingley being taken away from the country and we'll find out a little bit more in the second in about in a second but jane heartbroken and sad goes off to visit her aunt and uncle gardener who are awesome and while she's there she's in london and Miss Bingley is totally snubbing her. Lizzie knows that Jane's been writing to the Bingleys and the sisters don't see her. Her brother, the B- Bingley brother, has no idea she's in town or so they claim. And Lizzie's like, how can this actually be a thing? And she's all vexed and mad. But although Lizzie doesn't like Mr. Bingley, she really does love her friend Charlotte. And she goes to visit him in Kent where Mr. Collins is has a parish where he's the parson. This is when Charlotte can have kind of a frank conversation with Lizzie about just her her phase in life and how for her as an old woman of 27 um, a match with Mr. Collins wouldn't be the worst idea. Uh, although watching her marriage to Mr. Collins, I you feel like sweet Charlotte has a backbone because she's kind of like got her own little parlor. She's like, this parlor's for my private use. No Collins is allowed. I love it. Yeah, you're like, okay, she's running that house. Yes, and I and I I appreciate that about Charlotte because even though she did, it seems like she's approaching it from a state of I'm going to settle because I'm a woman who's 27 mm-hmm. and that's what I have to do. She still makes it her own life, and I like that about her. Yep, she likes she likes running her own house. She feels she feels happy being a lady of the house, and she. Um, I think she gets what she wants, which is nice. Yeah, like it's probably a loveless marriage, but at least she's got some autonomy and isn't just this daughter and like like she says, a burden on her family. And he treats Uh. her well enough and he's not, you know, he's he's a silly man, but he's not an abusive or mean man. And he's he's, got a good job and makes good money and it's it's not a bad situation. mm -mm. As far as things go, he's not going to do her wrong. And Lizzie um, but, gets it. I think she's a little sore maybe at first, but she she gets it. Well, and so, you know, Collins keeps name dropping his patroness, Lady Catherine de Beau. And mm-hmm. his his parsonage is at Rosings Park, where Lady Catherine lives. And Lady Catherine just so happens to be the auntie of Mr. Darcy. And just she ex- so happens. Just so happens. And she expects Darcy to marry her daughter, um, Anne de Beau. 
Poor Anne. Poor Anne. Ugh, another sick, sickly woman who just is sad and lives in the house like Mary Bennett. Yep, she is nothing. She's too sickly to be accomplished by anything. But Lady Catherine is sure that if she had ever studied music, she'd be very proficient at it. The statement covers both Lady Catherine and her own daughter. They're very, very confident in their untried abilities. Yes. But so at Rosings, oh no, guess who also happens to be there? Uh-oh, <laughs> our friend. Mr. Darcy and his cousin, Colonel Fitzwilliam. Now- All the Fitzwilliams. Yeah, for anyone who's been paying attention, Mr. Darcy's first name is also Fitzwilliam. And his cousin's last name is Fitzwilliam. So there's a lot of Fitzwilliam happening right now, and it's really hard to track. <laughs> I was I was mentioning to Jess earlier, like it's just it's a very bizarre name that to me for Jane Austen to pick to use for two of her main characters, especially since they hang out. Right. But hey, she liked Fitzwilliam. She liked. She was all. It was. It was the most popular name in the baby book mm-hmm. that year. It was John the year before. It's Fitzwilliam this year. It's got to go weird. So speaking of Fitzwilliam, maybe he should keep his damn mouth shut. Because while he's yapping at Lizzie, impressed by her beauty and being a personable dude, he's like, "Oh man, Mister Darcy just saved his friend from a really bad marriage." And Lizzie's like, "Go on." And uh, Fitzwilliam keep continues to verbally um, vomit. Oh, and it turns out to be, unfortunately, Mr. Bingley and his, and Jane. Yep, because he's like, there were some objections to the lady's family, and Lizzie's like, oh, like me, because I'm the family, but she kept it zipped. Oh, he just can't keep his mouth shut about something that he just is now, and Lizzie's getting progressively more and more pissed. Oh, she's so mad, which means that this is a really poor time for Darcy to choose to propose. So now she's finding out that not only did Darcy have all this shit with Wickham, but that he basically is preventing the marriage between her sister and the man she loves. Yeah, bro, she's not being super nice to you. She's kind of grumpy. And then he also leads with against my better judgment and just goes on all these reasons that he shouldn't marry her before he actually proposes. And she's like, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's a bad idea. It kind of, it comes out of nowhere, first of all. And second of all, he, like, read the room, Darcy. You just took a giant shit on me and my family and ended it with, so I expect you to marry me. So Lizzie just goes, gets right in his face and is like, "Uh uh-uh. Yeah, and she calls him on his shit. She's like, A, you did this thing to Mr. Wickham, and B, you did this thing to Jane. And he doesn't speak much on the Wickham front yet. But he's like, yeah, I actually did that to Jane and Bingley because I didn't think your sister loved him. Um, and so off they go. That, that didn't go well. Sorry, bro. Ain't happening. And he sends her a letter the next day, in a, not an apology, but an explanation. Yeah, and it's like, it's the truth of Wickham basically being a scoundrel and turning down the living that Darcy's dad had left for him. And then shocking news of Wickham trying to seduce and marry Darcy's younger sister, Georgiana, who is a child. Now Lizzie is, is, is dealing with the unraveling of all of this truth about Wickham and Darcy. And um, we find out, yeah, because when about do we find out that 
Oh, oh wait, it's some months later. Sorry, time jumps around so crazily. They're taking carriages places and that takes a lot of time. So after this very poor proposal, um, Lizzie gets an opportunity to travel with her aunt and uncle, the gardeners, who are really cool and really chill, but also she's there what there's people though that Lizzie was like, Mr. Darcy would never accept them because they're not upper class. You know, she's like, he would never have anything to do with my uncle and my uncle is a good man. And so she has all these like feelings about like, yeah, these are good people. Some of my family is shitty, but the gardeners are cool and Darcy wouldn't have ever accepted them. Yeah, we like the gardeners. So they go on a trip up to, they were planning to go to the lakes, but they end up going to Derbyshire where Pemberley is, which just so happens to be the estate of Mr. Darcy. Just so happens. And uh, Lizzie, of course, does not think that he would be there. She thinks he's in London or something like that. When she- and she snooped, too. She was, like, asking the chambermaid. She's like, is Mr. Darcy going to be there? And they're like, no, he's not there. Just curious. No, no particular reason. Uh, um, but lo and behold, he is there. And they run into each other. And he's shockingly nice. Yes. Like, and, and his sister's there too, right? Like, that's when she first runs into, she meets Georgiana. Mm-hmm. And, and he loves his sister. His relationship with his sister is very sweet. Well, um, when we were set up by Wickham to think Georgiana nasty and ill-tempered and awful, yes. Wickham had to talk shit about the whole Darcy plan. But she actually is warm and lovely and just as excited to meet Lizzie and, like, plays the piano plays a mean piano forte Mm -hmm. so she's charming and adorable and she's got this great relationship to her brother that starts to warm up darcy in the eyes of lizzie Mm -hmm. and so uh they they kind of have an awkward exchange of like i didn't know you were here i didn't know you were here um they both talk like men apparently now uh (laughs) and it's not exactly they don't really discuss anything important but you can sense that um Lizzie is maybe warming up a little bit to the idea that he's not the worst. Well, I think that's partially because he was also so nice to her aunt and uncle, the gardeners, mm-hmm. and she was fully expecting... Oh, that is really sweet. Like, he's so respectful and kind. Yeah, that is really sweet. Yeah, after that meeting, he he sends word that he wants them to all to come over for dinner, and and he wants to go fishing with the uncle, and he's hanging out with them, and Lizzie's very impressed by that. Oh, it's charming and wonderful. But then the two fucking fuckity fuck fucks ruin everything. And those idiots are George Wickham and Lydia Bennett. Idiot central. A match made an idiot heaven. Oh, because against all better judgment and Lydia's, no, and Lizzie's warning, the Bennett parents decided to let Lydia go visit where the regiment was. The regiment yes. left their town. Maryton, that's the name of the town. Boom. Ah, boom. Maryton. <laughs> Get it? Yeah, and Lydia is like, what, 15, 16? 15. She's the youngest, but she's also the tallest. Eat a dick, Lydia. Ugh. She's self-centered and silly and is just a gigantic waste of space. Yep, and she goes, so we all know what that's going to mean. Yeah, it means Jane sends Lizzie a letter while Lizzie's having this, like, Darcy renaissance out at Pemberley <laughs> saying that Lydia and Wickham have fucking eloped. Mm-hmm. And here's the fan. Here's the shit. Yeah, there it goes. Because 
Lizzie knows the truth about the kind of man Wickham really is, but never got the chance to share that with her family. Yeah, so she takes responsibility too. She's like, I should have said something about it. Do you hear that scary woo sounds in the background? I do. Is Those there a ghost? Yes. Is it the ghost of Jane Austen? It is. She's like, you are not doing this right. You are not related to me. Stop spreading falsehoods on the internet. Whoa, that's spooky. Jane Austen ghost is mad. I'm here to tell you to stay on track with your summary. Hold on. The Jane Austen finger puppet will be the same thing. <laughs> Sorry, I have a Jane Austen finger puppet that Lauren is called a puppet. And now it's now it's in play for this episode. Now, because we read Crucible, everything's a puppet, if it looks like that. <laughs> um, okay, so everybody freaks out. Lizzie and Auntie and Uncle take off back home to try to salvage things because Uncle's like a lawyer and he can help. And mm-hmm. she's like, well, I was warming up to Darcy. I liked his sister. His Pemberley's real nice. But now all those hopes and dreams are in the toilet because Lydia like has made our family a disgrace. Oh, wait. And had she at this point had a meeting? Yes, she's had a meeting with Lady Catherine de Bourgh already at some point, right? Yeah, the, the first face-to-face. The first meeting, right. Because who does not approve? Yes, doesn't approve of, yeah. Where Lady Catherine just grilled her. Yeah, who's like, well, how many sisters? Mm-hmm. I love that one of Lady Catherine's big judgy points is that the youngest sisters are out in society before the eldest are married. Yes. Well, how, how is that possible? You've got all five sisters out at the same time. That's crazy. That's crazy. Um, so yeah, now that Lizzie's like, oh, I was warming up to Darcy. If he didn't like my family before, no way he'd like him now. Mm-hmm. Because one of them just ran off with his enemy. Like the person he hates the most in the world. They would have, yeah, trauma. Well, through Miracle of Miracles, Lydia and Wickham somehow actually end up getting married. They make it legit. Yep, he puts a ring on it and makes the biggest mistake of his life. Yeah, setting things up for the future of death comes to Pemberley, where Lydia gets to continue to be annoying. God, well, I, I love, I realized this watching the 2005 version, 2007 version, whatever, the, the one with um, uh, Tom from Succession mm-hmm. was that like- Succession Darcy? Succession Darcy, Succession Darcy, um, <laughs> who I think might be my favorite Darcy. It's a controversial statement. We'll talk about it later. Yes. But you, you feel like Wickham's super predatory going in. You're like, oh shit, he's, he's predatory on that young girl. It's going to go so bad. And then he gets married and now he's the victim. So suddenly, like, it, it's, it's a status. <laughs> he's taking advantage of Lydia and she's naive to she just locked him down and he's the loser in the situation. And he deserves every ounce of that comeuppance. He just got owned by a 15-year-old. Oh, she's going to be the worst wife. Oh, man. You don't even know what you got yourself into there, buddy. And Kitty's probably going to hang out around a lot, too, because... She loves Lydia, so you're going to have to deal with both of them. Mm-hmm. Well, so there's all this trauma because Dad and Lizzie all think that the uncle, like, shelled out a bunch of cash to try to make this marriage work and, like, pay Wickham off to he married her and doesn't, like, sleep with her and leave her in disgrace. So the Bennets are like, oh, my God, this is not good. We now aren't going to owe our uncle a ton of money. Yikes. Yeah, it's all very yikes. Yikes. Until Lydia, she of the can't zip the lip, at dinner, yaps to Lizzie. She's like, oh, Mr. Darcy was at our wedding. Uh, and Lizzie's like, what? Excuse. 
But what? <laughs> so we discover, along with Lizzie, that Darcy actually showed up. He's the one who shelled out the cash. And he's the reason that Lydia and Wickham got married. And Lydia, then the family is not in complete disgrace. Darcy. Darcy. Uh, he does these well, little things and he does them on the DL. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's all up to Lydia to, like, figure it out, let Lizzie know, and then she drops a little hint that he might have had other motives. So now Lizzie can start to hope again. And lo and behold, guess who's coming back to Netherfield Park? Oh, Darcy and Bingley. Darcy and Bingley being best friends. They're gonna um, come get the Bennett girls. Yeah. Boom. So Bingley proposes to Mary. No, Jane. Yes. No, Mary is still, we don't know where Mary is. No, Mary's in a closet with her sad pianoforte and crying about Mr. Collins. Mary's taken up knitting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Mary's hoping somebody writes fan fiction about her in the future. Someday someone will write fan fiction. Um, yes, yeah, so they show up. They basically admit like that they were wrong, and Mrs. Bennett manages to not fuck it up, although she comes real close. So Bingley and Jane are engaged, and it's awesome. Um, and then... And then Darcy's back in the picture and he's paying these wonderful, awkward little visits. And finally he proposes to her and he's like, he, he does a good job this time. So awkward. So cute. If you're, if you feel the same as you did last April, I will never repeat this again, but I remain unchanged and I still want to marry you. And Lizzie's like, and I won't let my pride and prejudice against your family get in the way of our love. Oh, and she's like, I'm sorry, I was prejudiced too. But what I love so much is they go back to the house and Darcy like goes to talk to her dad to ask permission. And dad Bennett calls her in and he's like, I thought you hated him. Like, like he's like legitimately stressed. Like you're going to have more money than your sister, but oh my God, Mary for love, what is wrong with you? Yeah, why are you doing this? And she says that she loves him and they're all happy. And I'm... And I love, I love that about Mr. Bennett. I love that he really is a father with his daughter's best intentions at heart. He never pulls a, like, you're marrying this man on any mm -mm. of his daughters. And he, um, in the end, just wants to make sure she's really going to be happy. And I think that's lovely. Yep. So that is the plot of Pride and Prejudice. We're not yeah. going to take nearly as long with the plot of Persuasion, no, persuasion's way, way quicker. Plus, you know, who needs it? Persuasion, we're talking about mainly a, a little bit of comparison. Um, and that relationship is very different. Uh, it begins with, we meet the Elliots. There's Sir Walter Elliot. And fun, fun fact about the Elliots, by the by. Uh, um, so Jane didn't pick the name Persuasion for this book. Her brother gave it the title because it was published after her death. Right. And it was, she usually referred to it as the Elliots. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah. So it was published in 1817, six months after Jane's death. And according to, yet again, our friends at Britannica, persuasion tells the story of a second chance, the reawakening of love between Anne Elliot and Captain Frederick Wentworth, whom eight years earlier, she had been persuaded not to marry. Wentworth returns from the Napoleonic Wars with prize money and the social acceptability of naval rank. It's another story where that is showing in the beginning um, a family who has to move out of their home because they need to save money. And so they are bringing um, 
the other the other family in, and that's kind of how the reconnection is made between Anne and her long lost love. Um, and you know, eventually, the the bulk of the book is then the struggle between the two of them to see if they're going to rec- reconcile and end up getting back together. Um, and that was a case though where I do think it's interesting that they didn't that her father didn't want her to marry him when she was 19 because he was a decent match for her and 19 is the right age but for whatever reason sir elliot well the big thing with them is like the elliots are are proud and arrogant and aristocratic where the bennets are not so her father and their the the friend of the family um whose name will come to me in a second lady russell lady russell thought he was too poor because he was is going to have to just go to the Navy. And so they're like, he's not a good enough connection for you. And something we see a lot in this is how arrogant the Elliots are, the the Elliots of Kellett. Like, they're so proud. And how that was something that Um, doesn't matter to Anne, but it mattered to her family, and then that's why. And that's just just the way things were. Uh, My Tweed Lake summary for this book, though, was um, (laughs) absence makes the heart grow fonder, as does the sea. Mine is every great union starts with persuasion. <laughs> I couldn't stop hearing that word. I mean, if you've got to be persuaded to be with someone, it's going to turn out great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and you can tweet either of your, if you've got any tweet like summaries for either book, you can tweet them at hashtag Austin. Please share them with us. Um, but yeah, persuasion, it's interesting. You know, I did used to say it was my favorite Um, now that I'm, now that I've reread it, um, and gone through this, I'm not sure that I would say that anymore, but I do still really enjoy the character of Anne Elliot. And I like, I like her as a singular female character. I feel like she doesn't rely as much on her sisters, like some of the other heroines of Jane Austen books do. I feel like she's very singularly opinionated and kind of is trying to live her life the way she wants to, but her family just gets in the way. Well, her family just sucks. They just, both of her sisters suck. Her dad's Mm -hmm. arrogant. Lady Russell's like a pretty good friend, but still like you don't, her pride and her, her pride for like Anne's family and like her reminiscing about Anne's mother. Like I think really Anne's not her mom and she wanted Anne to be her mom. And that bums me out. You're not my mom. (laughs) Right. The subtitle for Persuasion was, you're not my mom. You're not my mom, Lady Russell. But yeah, so Persuasion is worth picking up if you've never read it. It is interesting to see, like, how her writing progressed over Mm -hmm. the really short few years that she wrote all of these novels. So um, let's, let's, let's go down our list of important stuff. Oh, I love in Persuasion, BT Dubs, just real quick, that he was... Attracted to the Musgroves. So basically, like, Anne is forced together with Wentworth. Like, she didn't accept his proposal eight years ago. Now they're forced together because of their social circles have collided. But he's sort of um, into her cousins, these two young, kind of silly girls. Yeah, I feel like he's into them to make them jealous. But I do love that the turning point in their, like, relationship is when What's-Her-Bucket, Louisa, like, falls off the wall and gets a head injury. (laughs) And then, like... And then he just kind of doesn't love her anymore. Yeah. Like he gives her to Benick and he's like, oh, she, I, I mean, I saved her, but I don't really 
I'm not into her yeah, anymore. Yeah, you know what, Anne? You are still, so you're still single? That's still a thing? Anne, you good? You taste like burger. I don't like you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you hit your head. I don't like you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you got a mild concussion. Courtship over. Um, that makes you less attractive to yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh! So, generous. Yeah, Wentworth is a little bit of a tool. He's, I, I don't. He's be. He's fine. His letter was nice. He writes her a really famous, nice letter at the end. True. But he makes her suffer. Mm -hmm. Yes, and they do, of course, end up together. But yeah, he does kind of put her through it a little bit. No, he's on purpose, shitty for a while. Mm -hmm. He doesn't just get back together with her, which I guess is fair. If he was rejected and, you know, they told him he was too poor, I guess I could see. Oh, yeah. I'd strut back in with my naval uniform being like, oh, pound notes for everybody, but not you, Ann Elliot. I'm a hit on all your cousins. <laughs> the greatest revenge is success and then hitting on your cousins. Pound notes for everyone. Making it rain with shillings. So since this was your first time reading from reading through Impress, persuasion what was your first impression of it reading it at this moment after you've already read more of uh, Jane Austen stuff it felt more mature and and more melancholy mm. like not her funniest book right um but yeah like Anne was sympathetic like there was there was like pining and like this lost love and the fact that our protagonist was older like I really enjoyed it but I think I would probably put it four in my in my list, my top Austins. What is your number one uh, fave? Is it Pride and Prejudice? Yep. I, I think Pride and Prejudice is my favorite novel, then Sense, then Emma, then Persuasion. And then Mansfield and Northanger are, are both pretty dumb. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that, that list. But yeah, what what are your what are your how would you rank them? Same thing? Yeah, you know, I used to like Sense and Sensibility more. I do think Pride and Prejudice is better written. Um, so I think if we're going in terms of a more well-written overall novel, I would put, and now I think Persuasion would be third for me as well. And I've never read Emma, so I can't say how that fits in for me. I just like Emma because Emma is so unlikable. And I'm like, I feel you, girl. <laughs> I feel you, Emma. She's the characters unlikable, not the books unlikable. I think I need to. I think I need to read it. My, I think my favorite parts of Persuasion reading it. I loved. I loved the letter at the end. I thought that was beautiful. Mm -hmm. I just loved her falling off the wall and getting the head injury. That cracks me up, and it's inappropriate. Hilarious. And I love the speaking of first cousins. In comes their cousin, Mr. Elliot, same last name, who's going to inherit. And all of a sudden, he starts hitting on Anne. And there, there's, a, there's a fun sort of trying to figure out his motives. Because you're like, is he the Willoughby Wickham of this book? Yes, I agree. I had similar favorite moments. I mean, definitely the, hit, the concussion rings up there, for sure. <laughs> so dumb. Don't, don't fall off the wall, you ding-dong. Um, but favorite Pride and Prejudice moments. Ooh. Oh, that's, it's a little tougher. I, um, I really kind of love, uh, what is now, yes, the second ball. I like all the 
crosstalk and discussion that happens during that. Um, and like I said, I really, I like when the Mr. Collins is first introduced. I think he's so funny, just such a ridiculous man. And I like the scene with Lady Catherine de Bourgh, even though she's a bitch. I just, I think those, I, I love the verbal sparring between, I love that Lizzie has zero fucks to give when it comes to basically not giving a shit who this woman is. She's going to tell her the truth anyway. And I love that. Yeah. You know, we forgot to mention in this was when Lady Catherine came or came over to the Bennetts and told, was like, hey, I don't want you to marry my nephew. And she's like, I'll marry him if I want to. I mean, I'm not, we're fighting right now, but I do what I want. Yeah. I don't know if you've noticed this yet, but I do what I want. I think one of the things I love was when Lizzie is at Netherfield and when Jane is sick and just watching her interact with Caroline Bingley Mm. and like how hard Caroline is trying to uh, show off for Mr. Darcy. Right. And how few fucks Lizzie gives about showing off for Mr. Darcy. And it's just such a fun, like conflict. Yes. And that's yeah. one of the, the one of our favorite Jane Austen quotes that's on all these books and everything. Like, I believe it, there's no enjoyment like reading or there's no enjoyment like a good book that's printed everywhere and attributed to Austen, which she totally said, but Caroline Bingley says it. And it's sort of like sarcastic, like it's, it's, it's Caroline not truthful and authentic about reading. Like she's totally just being flattery to Mr. Darcy. It's how I feel about it. Uh, it's the day of the show, y'all, quote from Waiting for Guffman. That was said in a moment of stress, and everyone has turned it into this happy quote. <laughs> but I digress. Yeah, it's not. It, we're not celebrating it's the day of the show. <laughs> Corky, we love you. We want you to live. No, we're not celebrating the day of the show. Anyway. Um, no, that's a good one. Yeah, that is a great scene. Uh, there's so many. It, it really is a good, it really is a well-written book. It's very good. Jane Austen, you were a good writer. Well, I think she, like, you love Mr. Collins' character, and I think especially in Pride and Prejudice, all of her archetypes kind of crystallize into mm-hmm. these perfect examples. Yes. Yes. Uh, if you were, so who does get your Sucks, sucks Your Ass Mar Award? God, it's, I mean, it could be Lydia. It could be Wickham. It could be um, Caroline Bingley. It could be Lady Catherine. It could be Anne um, I think it has to go. It could maybe even be Mrs. Bennett because her, her silliness is what infected her daughters in the first place. Yeah. I mean, she, she, her parenting skills are poor at best. Um, I mm-hmm. can't believe none of her children just like drowned in a pond. She's not a good mother. No, she's not. Thank goodness that, uh, that, uh, Mr. Bennett is on top of it. Otherwise they would have been screwed. Yep. And I love that he admits that he married her for her beauty and that that was kind of a mistake. <laughs> She was real hot when she was young, and now she's just a dum-dum. I think I have to pick Lydia because okay. she just sucks. And and then when I started Death Comes to Pemberley and she sucks all over again, she's just a she's just a dum-dum. Great. Well then I'm gonna give my ass Marta Wickham because That's fair. Yeah. That's a good choice. Well, and also of all of Austin's rakes, I think he's the worst. Yeah, he is a dick, a big time dick. Because cause we've got, it's him, it's Willoughby, it's Cousin mm-hmm. Elliot in Persuasion, it's John Crawford in um, Northanger, who is actually my favorite character in Northanger, <laughs> right. but, 
But like out of all of them, like they're all kind of dicks, but I feel like Willoughby really did love Marianne. But Wickham is just trying to sleep with underage girls. Yeah, it's kind of gross. Yeah, he's super gross. Yeah, good call. Mm -hmm. He does deserve the award. Favorite characters? I mean, you gotta love Lizzie. She's she's a wonderful heroine. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And I I have a I don't know. Like I said, even though she's a bitch, I kind of love Lady Catherine. <laughs> she's yep. a maybe uh, it's because I just have Judy Dench in my mind and all the time when it comes to her. But mm -hmm. um, no, but I Lizzie Bennett. She she's deserves to be held in high regard for a reason she's a she's a great character who's very true to herself and speaks her mind and i love that she's she's a little bit she's mm -hmm. a little bit like a joe march to me yeah they're not dissimilar no. um okay so uh, apart from lizzie and darcy because i really also love mr darcy he's wonderful apart from lizzie and darcy who else gets your gold star character? Like, if you can't have one of the main two, who I know, do you love? That's true. Um, there's something about there was something about Charlotte Lucas this time around. Like, I really I felt for her. Yeah, I um I think I'm gonna give her a little shout out today because I I think she deserves it. Yeah, she feels a little bit too like Eleanor Dashwood. Like, if Eleanor had not, like, you could see Eleanor being in that same kind of situation. I think. My, I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but I love Charles Bingley. <laughs> His name is Bingley. He's just enthusiastic and delightful, and he's a, a less sad, poor French Marius Pontmercy. He just, I love your and after lover. He's so cute. I'm so happy that he ends up with Jane. Yeah, because she's yes. so nice. They're going to have beautiful That's a good children. choice. <laughs> they are. They're going to be so happy and silly and blonde and... It'll oh, be adorable. Well, Persuasion, is, is Anne your faves? Uh, yeah, I got to go with Anne. There's less exciting characters besides Anne in Persuasion to me, I will say. Um, and then, yeah, her cousin, Cousin Elliot, gets my steps to your asthma award for that book. I'm going to be a little controversial on Persuasion and say that my favorite character was her younger sister, the one who got married, whose name I can't remember. Well, Ma was it Mary? Oh, Mary, yes. Yes, Mary. Elizabeth's the older one and Mary's the other like one. Like how self, like, I, I think I'm, she's my favorite because she's so awful. Um, just you're like, you are so self-pitying. Like I really enjoyed the villains in this. But then I think my Asmar for persuasion goes to Lady Russell for messing up Anne's life. Like, Lady Russell had no business doing the things that, she does. Mm -hmm, that's true. That's true. And it's a little shady when someone's, like, acting as your mother figure. Mm -hmm. But is it really your, you're not my mom? Yeah. Well, she just also, like, expects, sees so much of Anne's mother in Anne that she's having, like, misplaced affections and is not, not doing right by her. Yeah, and I think if I was going to do a very specific dad comparison, Mr. Bennett, of course, far wins over uh, Sir Sir mm -hmm. Elliot, Sir Wentworth, or yeah, Sir, Sir Elliot, yeah, Walter Elliot. Yeah, I think um, Bennett Bennett Dad's probably the best dad in all of in all of Austin. Um, yeah, he's a great dad. Dashwood Dad is dead. Shout, shout out to good dad. Good dads. 
Yeah. Um, well, you and I both recently like binged some media content, uh, film and TV. Yeah. Yeah. We've been talking about it a little bit throughout, but I mean, there are 8 million adaptations of both of these things. And then if you really want to deep dive, Death, Death Comes to Pemberley is pretty great. Well, there's like, I mean, I think the first adaptation was 1940 with Laurence Olivier. I'm totally talking out of school here. And I know there was like a, maybe there was even a silent version before that with like Greer Garson. I'm trying to remember. Can you imagine <laughs> silent version of this? So much, so many longing glances. So many, like um, Twilight. Um, but there's the, so there's all those famous ones. And then the ones that we're dealing with are the 1995 BBC miniseries with Colin Firth. Mm-hmm. Rawr, rawr. Yes. And then yeah. 2007 Kira Knightley version. And then there's Pride and Prejudice Which and is Zombies. the only thing I kind of enjoy Kira Knightley. I know. Because I normally don't like Lauren her. hates. But she's, she, she, makes, she makes a decent Lizzie. I dig it. I'm, I'm, oh, yes. Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Oh, that's such a fun read. Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. And then Death Comes to Pemberley, which we both watched this week. There's the Lizzie Bennet Diaries, which is a web series. There is, and there's the fucking Bridget Jones Diary, which essentially is based on Pride and Prejudice in the same way Emma. Yes, and Colin Firth is in that again, basically being Mr. Darcy again. <laughs> We're inundated with Pride and Prejudice. Only in a Christmas sweater. Yeah. Hashtag who's your Darcy. <laughs> Please vote if you haven't already. Um, yeah, and uh, there's already a couple persuasion adaptations as well, but there's a new one that's going to be coming mm-hmm. up soon, yes? Yeah, well, I just watched the version with Sally Hawkins, who we all remember as the lady who fucked that fish in The oh. Shape of Water, um, and <laughs> Henry Jones. I actually haven't watched any of the, I haven't watched any of the persuasions. It was fine. Tobias Menzies yeah. from, who is Edmure Tully on Game of Thrones and is, the husband oh. slash Jack Randall and Outlander who like, if you're going to play a smarmy Brit, if you're going to cast a smarmy Brit, you cast Tobias Menzies and he's cousin Elliot. So he just comes in and is creepy oh, okay. as fuck. Um, it's good. It, they condense the end a lot. And I don't think you'll like what they do with the letter. Ooh, but there's a new version of Persuasion mm-hmm. coming up with the woman who plays mm-hmm. Shiv Roy on Succession which is hilarious because Matthew McFadden, who was Darcy in the 2007 Bride and Prejudice, is her husband, Tom Wamsgan, on Persuasion, or Persuasion, on Succession. So it's like... So they're all getting all in the Jane Austen Succession crossover. So we're waiting for casting news to see who Wentworth is. Who would you cast as Wentworth? That's my disquestion. Oh, that's a great disquestion. Right now in this moment, Wentworth... Um, shit, I can't look up names. Yeah, I'm like, I'm looking at Brits, and it, it's not Cumberbatch. I think he's too aloof. He's too cold. Mm-hmm. Too, yeah, too mm-hmm. old now. No offense, Cumberbatch. Eddie Redmayne's too um, goofy. Mm-hmm. Any Redman could have been he could Bingley. Have been Bingley. He, he wasn't available for Bingley. We all realize that. <laughs> um, oh, uh, his, um, what's his name? Our dear friend, uh, uh, Fenton, Tom Fenton. Is he old enough yet? Draco Malfoy? Oh, yeah, no, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> why not? 
too young. Yeah, I think he's old enough. I think he's old enough. Tom Felton. Great. So Lauren's pick for Captain Frederick Wentworth is Tom Felton, aka Drake Malfoy from Harry Potter. Where was her? Wait till his brother yeah. hears about this. Whereas I would, I would cast him as cousin Elliot because a smarmy douchebag. But you... no, that's much better choice. <laughs> Probably. Ooh, let's just get a let's get John Snow up in there. Done, 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 done. You just Snow. want John Snow. Snow. Okay. John Snow. Wentworth. John. Okay, wait. Or if it can't be John Snow Wentworth, I think it should be um, uh, Rob Stark. So just. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's That'd less smoldery, but okay. but but like yeah. So okay, great. Mm-hmm. So it's either Kit Harrington or Richard Madden. I like where this is going. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry, Tom. You've been downgraded. Your cousin Elliot. Now that's a much yeah. harder cast. But Tom Felton, you're delightful on the internet, and we follow you and enjoyed you singing "You'll Be Back" with your guitar. <laughs> we appreciate you mm-hmm. very much. Yes. No, but I think we got to get a Stark or a bastard Stark. Oh, up definitely. In there. Well, then now I want to see Ramsey Bolton as one as like a Wickham or something. Oh shit! Mm. We have a really scary Jane Austen where we we also we can put Joffrey in there. Oh shit, Lord. Okay, okay, okay. Now I want to create like a Jane Austen extended universe. If they all like cross together like Marvel comics, just assign everybody, and eventually they all like meet in London at a ball, so we can have this great fan fiction scene. Oh man, um, we're gonna get right on. I think we're this. probably gonna tweet about it. Done. I love it. I love it. Game of Thrones characters as Jane Austen characters. Yes. We've been talking for like 8 million years about Jane Austen. (laughs) But we still haven't discussed the most important thing, which is if there's a Simpsons references. It was so hard to find. Finally, finally, we found... you found a great yes, one, though. Where uh, Lisa, it's the episode where Lisa joins Mensa, which is season 10, episode 22, which is past when I think they're good, but this episode was still pretty decent. Um, and it's Lisa's uh, mm-hmm. mourning the state of intellectual stupidity in Springfield because everybody just like freaked out at the low fat pudding thing. And so Lisa thinks everybody in Springfield is dumb. And um, Reverend Lovejoy drives by in what she thinks is the bookmobile. There's there's some trees covering it, and he's like, Lisa, oh, well, hold on, we'll listen. Doesn't anybody in this town read? Oh, hello, Lisa. Can you recommend any books for my mobile? Oh, absolutely. Grab to know anything by Jane Austen. Jane Austen. Thanks, Lisa. I'll get right on it. But what you can't see is it's a book burning mobile. <laughs> so Lisa just tossed all of the Austens on the pyre. Um, <laughs> That was the only move, the only one I I um, managed to find. There's there's some like non-canon ones where they think like Lisa had sense and sensibility on her shelf or like little background things. But that was the biggest thing I could find. Yes, yes, because I mean we have to believe that Lisa Simpson has read all of the Jane Austen novels. Let's come on, let's be honest. Do here. you think Lisa Simpson is Elizabeth Bennet or is she more Mary Bennet? Hmm. <laughs> I think she wants to be Elizabeth Bennet. Yeah, but I think she's some, she's kind of a bummer to her family about salads and stuff. Oh my God, Millhouse is Mr. Collins. <laughs> Millhouse is Mr. This is <laughs> everything's coming up, Collins. <laughs> now I want fan art. Now I want Millhouse, but in Mr. Collins's outfit from the Sense and Sense, nope, Pride and Prejudice movie, and I want it to say everything's coming up, Collins. 
Who's talented? Oh, God. Somebody get on this. We will love you forever. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, I know this is not your disc question. Do you have your disc question first? Oh, okay. yes. I haven't asked Because then mine. I'll do the biggie, the big um, question. Oh, that wasn't my real No, that was your question. real disc question, but we have a big question we have to answer. Oh, right, right, right. Oh, oh well, yeah, that's true. Um, okay, so my disc question for you is you can only pick one character out of, let's say, either book to drop into their circumstances at the beginning of the book. You, you drop into their world, but it's at the beginning. Okay. Who is it? Yay! I'm gonna. He, rent, loves he loves everything, and he rents a big house and has some lots of balls at his house. Good choice. Good choice. Who would you drop into? That's so funny because I was gonna say Mr. Darcy, just because <laughs> his life is great. He's loving life. He does what he right? wants. I love that neither of us are picking female characters. No, their lives. Their lives are. Their lives kind of suck. Mm-hmm. Even the good ones. Lizzie makes the best. Of them. All right, we're. We're best friends. We're best friends. High five. Well, I love the moment. Speaking of best friends, the ver- in the 2007 Pride and Prejudice with our with Bingley and Darcy, it's before Bingley goes back in to really propose to Jane. The, the, the film took some liberties with the source material, but it's like Darcy giving Bingley the pep talk about, like, I'm going to walk in. Oh, right. so you do this. Okay, yeah. Like, it's just such a great friend <laughs> moment for them. <laughs> but that leads into what mm-hmm. I'm guessing is your big disquestion. Here's our big disquestion. Who's your Darcy. And we have some contenders to talk about. So mm-hmm. we have Colin Firth from the 1995 version, who is in a... And Bridget Jones' yep. diary, kind of. Then we have... I think we should consider him separate because we got some interesting listener feedback about that from our Instagram. So we have um, Colin Firth, 1995, BBC. Then we have Matthew McFadden, 2007, movie. Then we have Colin Firth as Mr. Darcy from Bridget Jones' diary. And then we have Dark Horse coming up strong on the outside. Matthew Reese from the Americans is Mr. Darcy and Death Comes to Pemberley. Um, I mean. Who is now my neutral. I mean, shit. I was a very hardcore Colin Firth, 1995, all the way. But you know what? I'm going to go with Perry Mason in a cravat. Damn. Just because it's new and it's interesting. Well, and Perry Mason, which I'm going to just refer to as Matlock for the rest of this pod. So fucking get Oh, yeah, Cravatlock. Cravatlock. I was not familiar with Matthew Reese's work until I saw Matlock. And I was, now I want to see him in all the things and out of all the things. Yes. I will be, I will be starting the Americans very soon. That's next on the list. Girl, the way he looks at her in the pilot episode of that. Oh, 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 damn. damn. Um, I appreciated his Mr. Darcy as well. But I think, and I am still a big, big supporter of Colin Firth. But there's something about Matthew McFadden that is vulnerable. Um, yes. And I think after... I do have to say that this watch, mm-hmm. I, I got, I dug it, I dug it more this time around for sure. Yeah. Well, and after seeing him on Succession... And it took me like almost the entire first season of Succession to be like, where have I seen that guy before? Where have I seen the, oh my God, that's Mr. Darcy. Um, <laughs> and see, I've never, I'm in the minority in that I've never watched Succession. So I haven't seen him in that. I, I've just kind of caught bits and pieces when Kevin's been watching it. Get your brain ready to explode because that man can act. 
because shit is he good on that show he might be the best one on that show and that is a show packed with talent amazing um um yeah so we want to know who's your darcy if you haven't told us already you need to tell us well um and some people have weighed in on our instagram which by the way it's at req readcast so you should chime in there and vote for your favorite mr darcy but our friend annie b jumped in there and she goes matthew is second choice colin in bjd forever but what I don't know what she says is which Matthew she's talking about. Because there's Matthew Reese and Matthew oh, McFadden. Right. Um, who, girl, by the way, they were roommates in drama school. Shut no, up. and so on. I will not. I will not shut up. And so you and on, except don't. I'll keep talking about Matlock. So on his on, on Twitter, Matlock, somebody asked Matlock, like, who was hotter, him or um, Matthew McFadden? And he was like, it's Matthew McFadden. He's way hotter than me. And I'm just like, uh, props to you. Oh, and now Matlock and Perry Russell are married in real life. It's so freaking adorable. Um, I have one more reader thing to throw in there. Apparently, we need to have a special mini-sode where we just discuss Matlock. <laughs> I think we do. A.K.A. Perry Mason, A.K.A. Cravatlock. Everyone gets so confused when I call it Matlock, and I'm just so sorry. Yeah, but you know what? You've stuck to the, you've committed mm-hmm. to the bit, and I like that about yeah, it. Yeah, I don't back off. I commit. I overcommit. No. I confuse people with jokes. <laughs> so, so why the fuck do we have to read Jane Austen? I do you do you think that she is the strongest of her female contemporaries? Yeah, I mean, I have not taken too deep of a dive into the Brontes. Yeah, because I don't like them reading them as mm-hmm. much, to be honest. So that's on me. Yeah, but from yeah, um, yeah, I think it's because she was a was a published female author. I think it's because she's looked back so fondly. Um, And I think one thing that makes her books particularly sparkle for me is that she writes women well, because she's a woman. Yes. You know, like we look at, we look at the women in Les Mis, which were, which is about the same time period. And they're all, Victor Hugo has a sense of removal. Like Fantine is this object of pity. Like Cosette is this object of pity and later adoration. When you get to the meat of them, women don't have personalities in novels of this time like they have in Jane Austen books. Right. And I do feel similarly to um, kind of how when we read Little Mm -hmm. Women, but even more so because these women are more fleshed out. I mean, Joe's really fleshed out in Little Women, but I feel like overall, all of her characters, the Jane Austen characters get more fleshed out. Well, and and yeah, and I love that they, there's a lot of them who are opinionated Mm -hmm. and, witty and shitty and speak their mind and spar verbally spar with the men and it's great well if you look at like she she has villainesses in her book she has antagonistic female characters she has lady Catherine. Mm-hmm. she has lucy Steele. she has fanny dashwood she has caroline bingley like for lack of a better word she has the bitches and her bitches are all different in their own way and they're all amazing and it's because and my husband, Jeff, said this the other night. He was like, it's because, like, these are the women she was dealing with. Like, if you look at Three Musketeers, who's the big villain of that? Uh, Milady de Winter. And she's like, ha, I am the villain, and I shall do terrible things. And, oh, no, the fleur de lis. 
And you're like, that feels like a mustache twirling male villain. But the way Jane Austen bitches bite at each other is just, <laughs> her women fight dirty. Well, and I wrote down at one, at one point, because it was hitting me that like, Pride and Prejudice has, a very, I said it's a classic tale of silly women ruining things for non-silly women. But I, I really do think there is this element of her writing about what can be better about womanhood, if that makes sense. Like she, she, she kind of is trying to demonstrate how women can be as opposed to how they are seen sometimes. And I, and I like that about Jane Austen. I feel like she's very frank about that and painting like, like see see what these ridiculous women do and how it can be harmful to women of intelligence and women of character but, i don't well, know then what's, maybe i'm getting too too meta about it but i just feel like there's an element of that well there's in her also books. like i wouldn't say any of her protagonists are perfect like marianne is no. too it has too many sensibilities she's too emotional eleanor is too sensible jane is a little bit too shy and it's her own like humility that keeps Jane from almost getting Bingley. Like Lizzie's, out of everybody, Lizzie's probably the most perfect, ideal. Like, And she ended up finding someone who's very similar mm -hmm. to her. But like, yeah, Emma, Emma meddles in people's business. She's too self-centered. Like Fanny Bryce, Fanny Bryce, nope, Fanny Price, not funny girl. <laughs> Mansfield Park is like a doormat. And Catherine in Northanger Abbey is just an absolute idiot turd. So... All, all of her lead women have big flaws that make them interesting. And I love that. Nobody's, it's not women on a pedestal. And yes, we are talking, of course, about men who are in want of a wife. And of course, like the pursuit of marriage mm -hmm. is a huge deal in all of these books. But I feel like we still get to see who these mm -hmm. women are. And that is unique. And it's funny. And it's satire. There's an edge to it. Like we're not reading this mm -hmm. thinking that this is a straightforward like romance. It's like, no, there's bites and jabs and wit. And I think, you know, we're talking about the wits and shits, if you will, like it's, <laughs> she's so interesting because of her wit. Well, good on you, Jane mm -hmm. Austen. Thanks for giving us a, a woman author yeah. to read from this time period. Well, it's also That wasn't totally lame. You know, like I know you and I were laughing before because we were comparing all of our Jane Austen swag. I'm wearing a shirt like that with all the dudes names. I got a fancy, mm -hmm. I got a mug and I have a finger puppet and I have a yeah. card game called Marrying Mr. Darcy and oh we're gonna play that if we ever get to hang out in the same room we're gonna play that my friend laura gave it to me for my wedding and i have not really played it except with jeff and two people and it's not hard it's not it's not as challenging to marry mr darcy when there's just two of you but like i think it's so <laughs> funny because i mean i just confess to you that i have not read all of the austin books until this year but i, lo I love her i think she's amazing but people like think i'm an austin expert and um, I'm not, I'm just a, an appreciator. I think, you know, Les Mis is my favorite book. So I have Les Mis shit that I bought for myself and, um, or, or you bought me like my cool scarf, but nobody makes Victor Hugo merch the same way they make Jane Austen merch. Like Shakespeare and Jane Austen have so much shit you can buy. And you're like, mm -hmm. you did something right, lady. You've got a huge fan following. Yeah. And I do think it's important to continue to champion that. Mm -hmm. 
and say, here's this female author from the 1800s who's really worth still reading, even in 2020. Mm -hmm. She's fun and funny and still incisive. Like, her characters could be plopped down in modern clothes today. Um, It's true. Well, we are going to be totally shifting gears for next month, (laughs) that's for sure. Right? But although maybe we could, we could have talked about Pride, and Prejudice, and Zombies in October. That would have been fun. But instead, we're going to be in Vampireville. <laughs> yes. We're doing uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula in October. Yeah. And I found Jessica a copy and myself for 50 cents. Go second and Charles. Mm-hmm. So if you need to get a physical copy of this book, so I recommend going. You will find a million used copies. All right. So, yeah. So get yourself ready. Get Dracula. And um, that way you can keep up with us for the rest of the season. I can't believe we're on season three, Jess. I know. We've read so many books. I know. I just saw an O. Henry outline and I was like, oh, my God, we did an O. Henry book. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Reading is still reading is still fun, even though I now put a lot of pressure on myself to get it done. But it's still important. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of reading, stay gold, Carolyn Bingley, who loves a good book. Oh, stay gold, Charlotte Lucas. <laughs> stay gold, Kitty Bennett and Mary Bennett, the oft-forgotten Bennett sisters. <laughs> stay gold, Lydia and Wickham, you dumb idiots. <laughs> stay gold, Fitzwilliam and Fitzwilliam. <laughs> Stay gold, Lizzie Bennett. Thanks for oh. thanks for being a badass. You're awesome. Stay gold, Lizzie Bennett. Stay gold, Mr. Darcy. Stay gold, Lauren. Stay gold, Jessica. Thank you for listening to Required Readcast. If you enjoyed the show, head over to iTunes, subscribe, and leave us a rating and or review. We're also available on Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at REQ Readcast. Required Readcast is produced by Sexpot Comedy. Theme music and lyrics by Max McEwen and Noah Evan Wilson. Vocals by Aaron C. Willis. Stay, Stay gold, gold, bookworms! Big old Elliot's. We didn't forget about you. Oh, yeah, we did. That was the most and persuasion thing ever. <laughs> Hashtag say gold yeah, Elliot. Hashtag say gold bookworms. <laughs>